So about uh, eight or nine summers ago, I went up to, uh, I was up in Lake George with uh, a buddy of mine. We were up there for a couple of days. And uh, one morning, I went out. We were in uh, Bolton Landing. It's kind of a cool little town, a little further up from the village um, along the lake. And I wanted to check out the church. Uh, I was going to see what time mass was. Um, and at least I wanted to just see the church. So I got there, and I could see there was a big, huge crowd. There was a uh, funeral going on, lots of cars. And uh, so I kind of went in the side door, uh, people standing, kind of like standing room everywhere. And I went in, and uh, communion was just finishing up. So uh, I just kind of went in and said a quick prayer and was just looking around. And then uh, I was going to get up and leave uh, before the end of the funeral just to kind of get out from the crowd. and. Uh, a guy got up to give the eulogy, and uh, I figured, let me give me this. Let me wait for a couple of seconds and see what this guy is like. Uh, I ended up staying for the whole eulogy because it was really, really good. Um, he was the grandson of the deceased, uh, the oldest grandson. He was probably about my age, and uh, his grandmother had died. And uh, you could tell, in fact, he told us they were a big, you could just tell by the, the crowd, like this was a huge family. Um, I think he, had, he mentioned like 27 or 28 grandkids. Um, Lake George was sort of the hub for this family. The, the grandparents had this house for years. So they were all up there throughout the summers. And he kind of, you know, referenced these great family memories. Uh, and the mom, oh, uh, his mother, uh, no, no, hit the grandmother who was the deceased, uh, you can tell she was um, kind of very much the matriarch of this family. But he talked more than anything, uh, what he spoke most about was her faith, just this wild faith. He could just one of these people who were so passionate about the church, sacraments, Jesus. And, uh, and he talked about her desire, total desire to talk about her faith very kind of unapologetic. And um, anyway, he, he, he told us about, uh, when he was a kid, he said he was, uh, played football growing up. And uh, when he was a little kid, he was uh, you know, maybe in fourth or fifth grade. His grandmother uh, gave him this book, and it was a biography of uh, Roger Staubach. If, you, if you're of a certain age, you'd certainly remember him. He was the great Hall of Fame quarterback for the uh, Cowboys in this, mostly in the 70s. And it was, you know, like a kid's biography. And it, um, you know, if you know anything about Starbeck, he was an amazing football player, but he was a, a great man, just so noted for his kind of his integrity and his faith, his Catholic faith more than anything. And so anyway, uh, he went to uh, the Naval Academy, he won the Heisman, served in Vietnam, kind of like interrupted or postponed his NFL career. Just a, a hero, you know, in a lot of ways. Anyway, he, he fell in love with Starback, became a, a cowboy fan because of this book. And in the book, uh, he's telling us all this. In the book, he said that, uh, and I knew this, I remember hearing this or reading this, that when he was at the Naval Academy, he used to be an altar boy. He would serve the masses. Kind of when nobody else really wanted to, he was always willing to kind of just be who he was. And uh, this kid read that, and decided to become an altar boy. Back then, they were only altar boys. It wasn't altar servers, but it was, he decided he was going to become an altar boy, and he did. 
And then he talked about the impact of that, like that connected him to the church in ways that he hadn't been. And he stayed at an altar boy until through high school. And he got involved in uh, his youth, youth ministry and his parish. And it really influenced kind of who he was, the kind of kid he was in high school, in college. And he pointed out this book, this silly little kid's book, being this influence. Anyway, he told us in this eulogy, I guess, you know, the day before the funeral, he's, talk, he's hanging out with his cousins and his siblings, and he's going to tell them about that whole Roger Starback thing. And then the rest of them chimed in and said, hey, she did the same thing for us. He had no idea. Like, she did those kinds of things for all of her grandkids. He said that, you know, the, 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 the cousins who were, you know, the, you know, the uh, not really the athletes. They were the, the drama kids or they were musicians. They were in theater. She would connect, she found a way of connecting what they loved with Jesus. Uh, he said he had a cousin who was, a, or two of them, they were big science people. Did the same thing, made this whole connection. She would send articles and I guess books and nobody knew it. Like everybody thought they were the only one kind of getting this special attention. But she was so dialed in, this great woman. Like she figured out, what are the, each of these little kids passionate about? Like what makes them, why are they wired the way they are? And she tapped into it. She said, let me work with what they love and I will connect faith to that. And this guy was like, I'm telling you. Oh, and then he said, you know what, and not to, not to toot our horns here, but he said, the 25 or 26 of us, like, like we're all kind of still here. We're all middle-aged and we're all saying our prayers still. And we're all connected to our churches and our parishes. So it, it made a difference. She talked about great-grandkids. He talked about great-grandkids, the oldest ones that she was now doing it with them. He said that when, when she figured out, kind of found out about Amazon, she went crazy. She was now ordering books for, for pretty much everybody all the time. You know what I think she figured out is this. It's like there's different kinds of soil out there. It's not all the same. None of us are the same. We're all wired different ways. So we're going to connect to God in kind of different ways. And she kind of had the wisdom to, to tap into that. You know, this woman, I think, was like a, a relentless sower of seeds. She's the guy in the, the parable that Jesus just spoke about. This guy who's got a bunch of seed. And he's like, I'm going everywhere. And I am tossing the seed all kinds of soil. There's going to be some that is very good, very fertile, and it's going to take root right away. But there's going to be others that are not so, not so fertile. Some's going to have, I don't know, weeds and thorns, and some's going to be dry, and some's going to be trampled upon a lot. But I'm putting soil everywhere. I'm not giving up on anybody, and I'm going to find a way for this seed to take root. You know, when I came down here th uh, three years ago to St. Ignatius, uh, my first Lent we had on Fridays. Most parishes on the Fridays of Lent, they'll have Stations of the Cross. And I went to them the first couple of Fridays, and uh, 
yeah, you know, in all honesty, they, they weren't great. They were kind of like, you know, it was like 10 or 12 people in this big church, and it was just like, I mean, there was nobody young there. And I remember just thinking, like, I've always personally found the Stations of the Cross kind of tough. Like, my mind starts wandering. I'm like, we're on the third station, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, we got, like, eight more to go, and 14, whatever, however many. What's, what's 14 minus three? You know, math stinks. But, like, you know, I'm looking around. I'm like, he's got to be kidding, wearing that shirt. And like, what's she thinking, reading? Like, I'm just becoming a jerk up there. I'm distracted. And I'm the furthest, the last thing I'm doing is praying. It's just kind of this, for me, and it's me. I'm not, you know, it's, it's, I'm proud of it. And I remember thinking, like, I think this is kind of like a dying thing. And it shouldn't be. Man, the Stations of the Cross should never be dying. It's the passion. Anyway, so we went home, I went back, and I, after maybe the third one, I, I talked to our staff here who were amazing. And I was like, well, how can we, like, reimagine these stations? I don't want to ditch them. But we got to do them different. Because this is a sinking ship, the way we're doing them. So we came up with this thing. So a bunch of you know about it now. We called it Friday Night Lights. And we give it like a cheesy name so we can kind of describe it. It's Friday Night Lights. And we figured, let's move it to St. Mary's because it's a smaller church. So it'll be more crowded. And instead of going through all the stations, what we'll do is we'll break them up. We'll do two every Friday. There's seven Fridays, there's 14 stations. That's it. We'll do two every Friday. And I got the guys, the, this, the, the tech guys, to, uh, I said, let's get, or they said, let's get, like, some of the Jesus movies, the passion and, you know, the, the cool Jesus movies that are out there, and find, like, the chorus, find the station in the movie, and take the clip and we'll show that on the screens. And then we'll pray the station. And then what we do is we ask all the, the, the speaker for the night, you know, the one who's preaching, we say to him, this is what you have to do. Talk about the two stations, but you need to find a movie clip, a secular movie, not a Jesus movie, but a secular movie that has a scene that reflects those two stations. And then we'll show that. And that's what we did. And we got great music, as we always have, It was like a home run. It was like we had huge numbers. First year, good numbers. This past year, tremendous numbers. 150 people, 160 people coming out on a Friday night in Lent. Seven nights, seven weeks in a row. Good Friday, it was like out the door practically. I mean, it's like, I think it's just a matter of saying, wait a minute, okay, what works here? It's the sower saying different kinds of soil. If it's not, What's not going to change is the truth. What's not going to change is the message. But the messenger could be different. How we communicate this can change and should change. Hey, we still do the old-fashioned stations here for the people who want to go. But we do this thing on, down at St. Mary's as well. I think it's this whole sowing of seeds thing. It's what that grandmother figured out. This kid loves football. Roger Starback is going to bring this kid to Jesus. You know, Pope John Paul II used to, uh, every year he would have this uh, event in the Vatican where he would invite artists 
from all over the world, famous artists to come together to Rome for a couple of days. It was like a, like a symposium. And they'd have concerts and presentations and recitals. And he would speak. And he, he had a total intention with this. What he wanted to communicate to the people was this. Anything that's beautiful, anything that's true, is from God. God's the author. So when you listen to a, an amazing song in the car, and, and the lyrics, or the music, or both, it can almost, you almost need to pull over because it, it touches you so much. Or you fill up with tears because of a scene in a movie, or the voice of a person singing. Where is that coming from? Yeah, the guy who sang the song, the one who, who wrote the poem, who painted the picture, where did they get it all from? Well, John Paul's point was, hey, it all comes from God. Anything that's true and beautiful is of God. So his MO was, let me bring these artistic geniuses together and I'll help them connect the dots. Anyway, this grandmother, back to the funeral and the eulogy, what she would do with her grandkids who were like the artsy kids, she would send every year an article which kind of summarized who was there, who sang at the concert. She was always sowing seeds. It was like, I have to get them to him. She saw that as her job. Well, it was her job. It's all of our job. Whether you're a grandmother or a mother or a kid, we all are called to say, what's a way to make Jesus more real, more relevant, more understandable? And that's what we tried to do with the, the Friday Night Lights thing, and I think we did. You know, do you remember... Um, you, you at least remember this guy's name, I think. Remember uh, Boris Yeltsin? He was the, the first president of Russia after communism fell. He was the first elected uh, president. And he, uh, so he was a trailblazer for freedom. A huge force in breaking down kind of the evil of communism. Anyway, at the end of his career, at the end of his life, he gave this interview, and he was asked about that process of bringing freedom and, and crushing communism. And he said that he was asked, how did you not lose hope? Because there was so much opposition, not the people, the people wanted freedom, but the, the Communist Party, they wanted no part of this. There were so multiple attempts to resist him. So the question was like, how did you remain encouraged? And he said, Poland. And he said, why Poland? Well, Poland a few years before did the same thing. They stood up to the communists. And then he said specifically, remember Lech Walesa? He was the, uh, the, the, the labor leader, the union leader, who led the whole thing. This guy, the, the, the Russian guy said, I, I listened to him. I watched him on the news, and he inspired me. And I thought, man, if this guy stayed with it, I'm staying with it. Anyway, the Polish guy was interviewed, you know, at a different time, and was asked the same question. And he said, uh, the question was, you know, how did you not give up? And he said, uh, Martin Luther King, the United States, the 1960s, civil rights. He said, I read, I read him. I read his I listened to his speeches, I read his, his talks and his homilies, and he inspired me. When days were dark, 
he, he lifted me up. Well, Martin Luther King was asked the same question, I don't know, 20 years before. What kept you going when there were death threats against you and when you were sitting in jail cells and being threatened? And he said, uh, Rosa Parks. He said that uh, her refusal to get up and move to the back of the bus, her courage to say, enough, we're not doing this anymore, gave me the courage I needed, especially when I was scared. So think about this. That one afternoon in 1955 in Alabama, this one woman's decision to say no more started this chain, like this chain of inspiration, which kind of brought down communism. <laughs> and I know it's more complicated than that, and it wasn't just Rosa Parks, but all of these key players said that these were all connected. So her decision that one day, that one seed, and look at what happened. Seeds are like that. They may be small, they may seem like no big deal, they may seem like a, a biography on Roger Starbuck for a fifth grader. Well, talk to that guy now. And he's like, no, that's, it, it was a pretty big deal because I've got the faith I've got because of that book and because of the person who gave me the book, the sower of the seeds, his grandmother. So seeds are important, and sowing them is incredibly important. And it's the obligation of all of us to sow them. The right seeds, true seeds, courageous seeds, creative seeds. So what's your field look like? The people in your life who need those seeds. And there's probably more than one. It's a bunch of different fields. And none of them are the same, like that family upstate. So one, 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 uh, one soil needs this kind of seed, and another soil needs that kind of seed. But they all lead to Jesus. So what do your fields look like? Who's your soil? What's their name? Work those fields. Sow those seeds.